Welcome to Career Tools. This week, get ready to get promoted. Peer analysis. It's a horse race. Here we go. Before we get to the cast, folks, we encourage you to take a look at the DISC profiles available on our website. It'll help you understand what your natural tendencies in terms of behaviors are at work. And with a little bit of attention paid, you can increase um, the uh, relationships you have with other people at work and decrease the conflict, which for some of you, you might wonder why you'd want to do that. But trust me, less conflict at work is a good thing. Check it out. So, Wendy, we've been doing a series on getting ready to get promoted, helping people think about promotion. We recently discovered that two of the most likely ways that people come to Manager Tools is searches around, I just got promoted or I just got turned down for a promotion. And, you know, we learn about promotions because maybe our boss or one of her peers is going to be moving to another department or being promoted or leaving the company. And so, you know, sometimes you have some warning. On the other hand, even if you don't, knowing the strengths and weaknesses of your colleagues, uh, who in some cases are your competitors for things, is valuable, yeah? Yeah. Uh, and as we keep saying, this is a 18 months to two yes. year campaign. So you have plenty of time to do this analysis somewhere amongst those those 18 months when you're working on your results and, and your relationships. So it's not like you know, this is going to be terribly hard work. It's probably it's probably not. And um, it's probably only going to take an afternoon in those 18 months. So um, it sounds like it's going to be hard, but it's a lot less hard than it sounds. Okay, good. The steps are ask yourself what skills do your, co- your competitors have, whether or not you need those skills, if you can get them. And don't forget that it's a cooperative competition, full out competition. If you if you go out full out in, in just competitive mode for 18 months, I can guarantee you won't get the promotion. In fact, you'll probably get fired. So you have to remember that you are competing, but you also need to be cooperative. Good. Okay. So let's talk about skill analysis. So we talked in the second chapter way back when of this of this series about the experience you need to be a manager and every manager needs to be able to manage meeting manage a project and manage your budget and then there's a bunch of specific things that a manager would need to do be able to do in a specific role according to the industry according to their specialism and so on um and one of the other things we talked about was being able to do 100% of your job and 50% of your bosses. Um, and if you think about, okay, which 50% of my boss's job, what is my boss's job, which is one of the most important questions to ask yourself right at the beginning. It's like, okay, I'm going to be promoted. What is that job? Yeah. In other words, what skills are required? What What are my responsibilities and obligations as opposed to, I really want more power. I really want more pay. Yeah, I want to climb the ladder. I want to get to the top. Yeah. And um, so if you've thought about those things, then you should have a good idea of what skills your boss needed to get to his role. So now you're able to look at your skills, the skills of other people, and know what you're trying to get to. That's the idea. It's probably pretty easy to think about what skills you have and what you need to work on. Like, you know, every performance review tells you what you need to work on, or at least mine do. And it's pretty easy to rank your skills that you already have. If you're, if you, 
if you everyone comes to you to fix their code, then you know you're an awesome coder. If everybody comes to you to fix their engineering drawings, you're probably pretty good at engineering. Um, so ranking your own skills, whether you do it or whether you look back through your reviews to see what skills everybody else thinks you have or your managers have thought you had, is pretty easy. And then you've got to ask yourselves, yourself, okay, of the ones that I need to work on, which ones would I give the highest rank? As in, which ones are going to be most important if I get my boss's job or whichever job the promotion is? Oh, that's interesting. So you're not going to rank them by how weak they are. In other no. words, I don't work on the weakest one first. Not necessarily. There's no point in working on it if it's, you know, if it's uh, scuba diving and scuba diving isn't required, you know, isn't your your job. When you look at your boss's job, it's not job, the thing. Yeah. Yeah. If, he, if he manages the pool and he never actually gets in there and scuba dives, then you don't need to be good at scuba diving. You need to do whatever managing the pool means in terms of safety and budgets and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And then you can compare that list, the list you have of your strengths and the things you're going to work on with your peers, because that gives you an idea of how well you you stack up against them in terms of the competition. Okay. So you're thinking about your boss's job and the things that are needed and then how you fit to that. And you're going to basically compare yourself to your colleagues um, you, you say competitors, and I, I hear you, and you're right in the context here. Yeah. Um, Colleagues is uh, a better word. <laughs> but let me just mention here, we have a podcast, a manager tools, about being everybody's number two for the top job, which basically means at the very senior levels, if somebody's being picked to be CEO or COO or something like that, the question that happens is all the directs get asked, if not you, who? With the idea that, and I think that's the title of our cast, if not you, who? And the idea of that is, look, we know you want the job, or we, we think you probably do. And if I ask you who should get the job, years ago, people discovered that at the very top, and, and many levels down from that as well, if you ask people who's right to take over the job, they'll all say me. And what you discover when you do that is that people skew the discussion and it becomes really a, a sales opportunity for the individual. Um, so you can't ask that question. Once you ask who and the person says me, finding out who else they like is not as easy. It just doesn't feel the same way in the conversation. So that's why the question is asked, if not you who, meaning, look, you may want it, but let's not talk about you. Who are the people, the one or two people that you could work for, that you feel like would be great in the job? And of course, there's always one guy in that group who names two people who shouldn't get it simply to make his candidacy look better. But the goal, of course, is for you to be named by more people to be the one to take the job, right? If everybody is not in the running for whatever reason, they're going to name the person they're most willing to work with. And so, yes, there's some competition there, but if it's only competition, then it's doggy dog and that brings out all kinds of bad behaviors. But if you're the one named as the colleague most likely everybody else would like to work for, then you're not gonna get that by thinking about it only as a competition the entire time you work for your boss. You're gonna have to think of your peers as colleagues and you're gonna have to help them. And some of you aren't good at that. And, and Lord knows at times I wasn't either guys, but get it through your head now that they are colleagues 
And even though they're competing for an opportunity, um, they're going to be your colleagues, whether you get promoted or they get promoted or neither one of you do. Um, it's a long game and not a short game. And there are people in corporate America and the world who simply say, I'm always competing and everybody's a competitor. And, you know, what you win, I lose in a zero-sum game kind of thing. And that's not the kind of person most people like to work for. So don't make that you. Absolutely. Okay, should we use an example? Yeah, sure. Okay, so we're going to assume that there's you, Bob, and Bill, and you're all potential relationships for your director who's going to be promoted to VP, and the VP is retiring at the end of the year in six months. And you are already skilled in running meetings, budgets, and projects, and you're already hitting your own work out of the park. So you've got all of the basics. Um, and now we've got five skills, and therefore the the, the top five skills that the director of engineering, which is what your boss is, um, we've got those in a table. Which you can't, if you're a licensee, you can look at the table, but that they are an active participant in management reviews, maintaining daily, weekly, monthly schedule for all of the engineers, overseeing the pro program management and customer activities, addressing the training and skill sets within the department, and working with the management team proactively to produce the desired result for the executives. So we'll, we'll call those one to five, those, those skills. And you have three of them. Bob has four. Now, when you say you have, I mean, does that mean you, you have three of them? You don't have the other two? You're not any good at them? You're poor at them? Is it a black and white? I don't, no, it's not a black and white. I mean, uh, the first one that... that that you and this table in this in this fictional world don't have is active participant in management reviews. That doesn't mean that you're not going to them and you don't say something. You know, you, if you say one thing in each one, that you know you're going to them. You know what's happening and you have some contribution. But an active participant is not the same as saying one thing in each meeting. Yeah, I, I guess what I was getting at is, are we comparing? In other words, it's simply I either have them or I don't. In other words, I have them, but Bob does it a lot better than me. I don't know. No, there's a sufficiency there. Ah, okay. I think necessary and sufficient. Okay, so, good. So Bob might be brilliant at something that you're not, but you are good enough. That's good enough. Yeah. So, so in other words, um, in this case, if you did this analysis and discovered that everybody had everything, you could then do the analysis again and say, okay, everybody passes the first layer. Um, let's make it a little bit tougher. Let's rank ourselves. I'm going to mm -hmm. compare myself to Bob and Bill, and I'm going to give us ones, twos, or threes, or I'm going to give us, on a scale of one to five, I'm going to rank each one of us. And of course, you're going to be biased. Um, believe me, folks, you don't think you will, but <laughs> you're going to be biased. And by the way, the bias will be in your own favor, and that's okay. But having done something similar to this before, I will tell you it was eye-opening for me. I realized that I was all about my two strengths, and I had a couple of weaknesses. And, and in, in one case, I did not have enough time to solve the problem at all, and somebody else got promoted. Um, but it was just sort of an eye-opening, like, whoa, I, I never thought about it. But that's something the boss does, and I don't really help him, and this other guy does, and it's really important to the boss. So, okay, clear. So all you're doing is saying it's necessary, and do I have sufficient skills for it? 
Um, and again, folks, if in fact this shows you something that's not helpful, like every box is checked, then you could add, okay, let's score ourselves against one another. Yeah. Good. Yeah, you have three skills, and so does Bill. And Bob has four out of the five. Well, if the status quo remains the same until until the VP retires and the promotion is announced, it's probably Bill that's gonna uh, Bob that's gonna get it because he's got four skills and you guys have only got three. Mm -hmm. So, in order to beat in inverted quotes, uh, Bob, you need to get two more skills. But in in order to differentiate yourself from Bill, who's only got three skills, you you only need to get one. So you could be, if you thought that getting those two skills was going to take too long, much longer than those six months that you have until the guy retires, you could work on one, which would differentiate yourself from Bill, and then allow Bob to be promoted and then look to get the next one for the next promotion. And by doing this with the table, you also see which of those skills that you, you need to differentiate. You, right. You need yeah. to get. So you can see which one bob has that you don't have and also whether or not that will differentiate you from bill and the right. answer actually is no you need to get you still need to get the two skills so that might tell you that this time around you're not going to get promoted but it's an 18 month game and this is the promotion is only six months away and then like the likelihood of there being two promotions another one in another year is fairly high so you just know what you need to work on and and it probably will take some of the angst out of knowing that someone's going to retire in six months and the promotion's going to come. You're like, okay, it's probably going to be Bob. I'm going to start being nice to Bob and help him out. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm Machiavelli yeah. at all. That makes sense to me. Hmm. So the next question is, do you need them? Which I've kind of, I was kind of talking about. So once you know what the skills are and who has what, you can think about what you know more broadly about your workplace. So if you want to compete with um, with Bob on on uh, with Bill on on the Facebook, you need to learn two skills in short order. But one of those is management reviews. And if they're not from for another 10 months, then it's a better to work on the other skills first and show your aptitude for learning and your ability to upskill yourself and all that kind of stuff and let your boss or whoever's making the judgment extrapolate that you can probably learn management reviews in time for the next round. There's, yeah. no, there's no point in waiting 10 months because the opportunity to practice isn't there. Don't think, oh, well, I'll, I'll wait 10 months and I'll do nothing now because <laughs> it's just wasting 10 months. Yeah, okay, good. And um, perhaps you know that Bob has already been earmarked for a different role. Or, or even if he's not earmarked, guys, that he seriously is being considered for or he's thinking about himself another role, right? Mm -hmm. The reason I mentioned that, Wendy, is recently I said, hey, for all you know, this guy's been earmarked for another role. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, he may be on the shortlist for another role. As good as you described this guy being, I suspect that several bosses are trying to get him on their team. And so they're looking for other things. And this person looked at me with a funny look. And I said, what? And he says, he says, you're telling me that it's possible that he could be considered for several roles at the same time. It's not just our boss's job and he might go somewhere else depending upon. I said, yeah, it's very. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so you need to think about that when you're thinking about your colleagues as well. Yeah. Even if the job's announced and being advertised and there's interviews, that doesn't mean that Bob's not going to get the role. That's like everybody's being compared to Bob. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if you know that Bob's leaving and you look back at the table, you only need one more skill than Bill and, and management reviews 
are most important, assuming that my list is prioritized and they're in order. So that might be the one you focus on, you know, if it, if it was the timing was right. So you, you got to kind of, it's not just a black and white, okay, well, I need these two skills. You got to think about it in the context of what else you know about what else is going on in the, in the organization and what the priorities are and all those kind of mm-hmm. things. Okay, good. Okay, and then the next question is, can I get those skills? Because yeah. not every skill that you want to have, the, the learning environment isn't available to everybody. So, like we said, if, if the management reviews are 10 months away, you can't learn them now. I mean, you could. You could go and see, look some old ones up. You could practice writing them. You could, I don't know, what else? Um, you could look at some... Um, improving your writing we've got a couple of casts about improving your writing you might want to try some of those out but really and truly you're not going to learn how to do management reviews until you do them and if it's 10 months away you can't learn them right now so uh, some skills you could learn from outside work so for example if it were project management you were missing you might be able to project um, manage project at school or church or in a community venue it might not be exactly the same but project management is who does what by when. And if you come in under t- on time and under budget, you've at least practiced those skills. Even if you don't want to mention them in an interview, you, you can feel confident that you have those skills. Well, another thing too is volunteering for your boss. I, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked by people who say, oh, I'm busy all the time. And then when I ask, you know, people who say, I'm so busy, I can't keep up. And then I say, who here with the right, you know, if you knew your boss needed help, um, would be willing to help out if you could. And everybody raises their hand. Yeah. And then I think, here are these bunch of managers in a room with me. They all say they're swamped. I ask, if you knew your boss needed help, they're like, yeah, sure. And then they think, oh, well, but I couldn't delegate to my directs. Well, sure you could. Your directs are just like you. They could take something on and you could free up some of your time. You could learn about delegating and learn about supervising somebody else as they learn something new that has some risk for both of you um, and free up some time and go to your boss and say, look, if there's a way I can help with that, I'd love to do it. Now, look, your boss may not be that kind of person. He or she may say, no, sorry, I got it. And I would think that's a good sign of how enlightened your boss is or how much your boss looks down on you. And I've generally found that the higher you go, there's a layer at the very beginning where managers are willing to do that. In the middle, when managers start feeling competitive and the pyramid above them starts narrowing more rapidly than they would like, they tend to be less willing to do that. There's a, I have to do it myself mentality, which is which is horrible for one's career if you're going to become an executive. But then at the very top, there's a real openness. Sure, look, if you want to do it, do it. Um, I've got five things I'm doing and I don't have enough time for three of them. So don't be afraid to volunteer. Um, and look, if you if you trust your boss, if you like your boss, um, then it's far more likely that when you volunteer, you're going to get some help. Um, and even if you don't do it well, if you volunteer and you've done it once, you're more likely to be perceived as having the skill than another guy if you rated that all three of the people, your colleagues, all the other two of your colleagues and you who are in the running in competition for the job, if none of you had done it before, simply your exposure to it puts you ahead of the schedule or ahead of the curve. Absolutely. And if there's one, if there's something that's impossible to get the experience for, I, I don't know, like 
if you want to fly 747s and you have to, you know you have to have some cockpit hours in a 747 in a real airplane not in a not in a simulation and you can't do that because you're not licensed or whatever you know people don't take joy rides in 747s yeah then- to, to be clear though wendy when you say fly a 747 people immediately use this use that example as an absurdity and they go well that's not really true but the, but but believe me i hear that an awful lot mark there's just one thing my boss does that i simply can't get that ability and and i simply disagree with that about 99% of the time because there are ways around that but folks don't think that Wendy's example is absurd if you start doing the analysis you're going to discover there's at least one thing I bet that you say yeah I can't get that or oh that's close hold information or whatever if you're an individual contributor doing reviews for other people like the manager isn't going to let you try and do that. Okay, so here's my example to that. We have a podcast about how to prepare for your own review. We mm-hmm. have a podcast for how to write a review. Listen to both of those podcasts and write your own review. Use the SEER technique for writing or the SUMX technique. And by the way, folks, if you've never heard about those, they're well-regarded techniques for how to write reviews that are easy to follow and it explains the process for gathering data and going over emails and uh, a timeline for you to get your, your all of your information done and write your own review and present it to your boss and say hey look you i'm sure you'll write you know my own but in learning how to do a review you know i'm thinking about management i've mentioned that to you i decided i would go through the process of writing a review i've been working on it for about 6 weeks wanted you to have it no, no. If your boss ask, also asks you for a one pager, of course, provide the one pager. But then say, hey, if you really want, here's this. And you're, I promise you, if your boss is not a good review writer, and you then oh, yeah. show All your him, words will be in your yeah, review. yeah. And then you show him a SUMX written, which is summary and explanation, or a SEER written, which is summary, elaboration, example, restatement, as I recall. Um, if you show a review that's tightly written, it's essentially a, a job interview or part of a job interview. Um, and yeah, I hear I hear that all the time. Oh, well, Mark, I'm sorry, I don't know how to write reviews. Well, learn. Get your annual review from last year. See what your boss wrote. Prepare yours this year. Look at each quarter. Heck, do it now. If it's an 18-month process, give him a review each quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And folks, be smart. If you have a bad quarter, Note it as such. I mean, literally put down that you were three in a certain area because you didn't plan for this issue or that issue or whatever. I mean, if somebody said to me, well, you can't learn how to write a review, I'd look at them and say, no, you can. Now, you can't actually write another person's review and have it in the system. But if you're the only one that writes a review and and walks in and shows the folder of stuff that you that you used and and printed emails and so on, and you present that to your boss. Um, and look, if your boss is doing one-on-ones with you, end your portion of the one-on-one by sliding your review across to her. If nobody else has done their own review and everybody else is saying, well, I can't write reviews, can't write reviews, and then you write your own, I, I don't care whether you meet the standard that the boss has or the company has, you essentially outperform your competition. I may not be a 10, but if I'm a five and everybody else is a zero, even if the standard is an eight, if I'm a five and everybody else is zero, I win. Or at least I don't lose in that comparison that my boss says. Now, obviously, we hope that bosses don't choose to 
make a criteria whether or not someone can write a review because managers have been promoted into positions having never written and never being able in their entire life ever to assume they could write a good review and they, those people are managers so <laughs> perhaps a bad example well it's always better than a 747 which most people would assume it's impossible yeah I, I just i just think there are too many times where managers um particularly when it comes to their own their own career um discount um our guidance for sometimes good reasons sometimes bad and they ought not to relative to their ability to gather to gain new skills and i would think the other thing you could do is simply send us an email and say hey you know this is my job i'm i'm thinking about it i'm wondering whether or not there's a way i could learn this skill and you might be surprised or come to the forums yeah, better still post it on the forums because there's so many people with so yeah, many different jobs. Somebody yeah. will have experience in your job and, and, and have made it to the next level and, and know how to do that. Right. Good. Okay. So the last point is don't forget that it's a cooperative competition. So having told you to analyze everybody else and try and beat them, remember that there's only one job. You know, We'll narrow it down. We'll say there's only one job and you, Bob and Bill, all want it. It's not usually the case. You can go to other departments. You can go to other companies. There's, there's a multitude of opportunities. But let's assume that you want to stay and Bob and Bill are going to stay and there's only this, the, your manager's job because this VP is moving on. Right. So if that's the case, yeah, there's a competition. It's between you, Bob and Bill. But at the same time, you're still working together for the good of the company for the next 18 months. And if you get the job, Bob and Bill are going to work for you. And if one of them get the job, gets the job, you're going to be working for them. Right. And so you don't want to let the, competi the competitive element overcome the cooperation you need to have on a day-to-day -day basis in order to achieve results and improve your relationships. The whole thing about smile on the way way up because you'll meet those people on the way down is kind of true here. You've got to, you've got to be... It can't be too much of a competition. It's got to, you, well, you've got to live with those people. Yeah, I think when people see it simply in the context of competition, then it's a zero-sum game. He wins, I lose. But the game keeps playing, folks. You're still co-located with them. And now one of them has power over you. You know, I get asked a question all the time about people say to me all the time, well, I just got promoted to be a manager of my peers and I'm, you know, it's the hardest promotion. And I say, actually, no, it's really, really not. The hardest promotion in the world is to go from individual contributor to manager. And if you're a manager and then you become a director of a bunch of managers um, who were your peers before, that's not a, a terribly difficult promotion usually. But in fact, what will make it difficult is not the boss, assuming the boss knows the rule that you can't be friends with your directs. Sorry, folks, but there's a cast for that. Um, but rather that a disgruntled, non-promoted direct, about which we have a cast as well, becomes problematic. Um, and is that going to be you? Really? I mean, are you so, so narrow-minded? Career, li career limiting move. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are you so narrow-minded that when you don't get what you want, that you pout about it? You know, I, Wendy, you just shared a, a presentation at Kellogg. By the way, in the same same room I gave couple of my presentations at Kellogg from Jamie Dimon. The, he was at the time at Bank One and now, of course, has gone on to bigger and better things. And And he was talking about how early in his career, you know, he did some things he wasn't proud of. Um, and he also, the, one of the first questions he answered was, 
how do you get to be where you are at your age? These MBAs are just like, wow, he's he's 50 mm -hmm. and he's running a big bank or something. And he says, he says, guys, it's not about your age. Those people who are going to be successful are going to be successful. And I think that a lot of times people in these contexts of I'm competing for promotion become more competitive. In other words, it's me versus them. Um, then perhaps they would like to think about at the end of their life when they look back on their career. Um, folks, yes. you don't have to compete with other people to get promoted. You have to produce results and maintain relationships. Which is exactly what he says in the first 10 yes, minutes. Yes, exactly. The, the, the thing to, results, relationships, and read the Wall Street Journal, and you better have read it before you get into the office. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I, and I... I I simply believe that when people are thinking about promotions, they lose their perspective. And and guys, don't we're not accusing you of anything because I've done it too. Um, and when I look back, I wish I hadn't. Uh, I wish I had played a little nicer. Um, and probably some of my career would have been a little bit more smooth. It wasn't unsmooth, but I can see where um, I probably won some things. I won some battles and lost some wars. And I wish I could go back and do those differently. Is that it? No, the last thing we want to remind you about being a corporation and, and um, it not necessarily being competition is that promotion interviews are not just about counting skills. The The whole process we've just gone through is about counting skills, but, but the interview and the who gets promoted is not just about that. If Bill is better liked because he's a nicer person to work with and isn't so competitive as you and doesn't go around stabbing people, if he gets better results or he has more allies than you, he still might get the job over you, even if you have more skills. Yep. So it's, it's so you can't just listen to this cast and think, oh, well, all I have to do is count skills and get that, sk that skill. I think we're on chapter six or seven, and you need to listen to all of them because there's stuff about relationships, there's stuff about results, there's stuff about finding allies. It's, it's a whole... It's it's a whole campaign. It's not just this little skirmish. Yeah, and in that skirmish, I see, I tell people this all the time about how it always bothers me that professional athletes and even amateurs get mad at referees and there's yelling and screaming and so on. And I, I know it's terribly old-fashioned, folks, and it probably sounds very British or upper-crusty American, but I want you to play your guts out on the field, and when you lose, I want you to smile and shake the hand of the other person. Um, you know, we see these professional athletes yelling and screaming at referees, but you watch rugby, one of the most vicious games in the world. Um, and yet, if you're going to speak to the referee, you have to be the captain of the team. No one else can speak to the referee or they'll, they'll be summarily thrown out. When you speak to the referee, your feet better not move the ground. They better stand still and your arms, your hands better be behind your back and you better speak with respect. Um, and this is an old game. This is, you know, rugby and football and soccer all, I think, come from the same basic principles. Mm -hmm. And you can be that person. You can be a lady or a gentleman and, and fight hard and then smile and say, gosh, that was great. Um, you know, I, I, I played golf yesterday with a couple of people I hadn't played with before uh, and a good friend of mine, Jeff Newman. And uh, these two people were not great golfers. Jeff and I were better than them, but they were friendly and they laughed at their mistakes just like Jeff and I did. And we all made lots of mistakes and there was a little bit of competition and we all laughed about it and we had a good time. And about two weeks ago, I played golf with somebody who there was a little bit of competition and he 
he threw a club and he cursed and he pissed and moaned. And I got to tell you, he and I are never playing golf again. I mean, I, I, I didn't say anything to him other than just I, we all stopped talking to him. And I know that I'm in a group that he will end up in a situation where he will be. And I'll, I'll walk off the tee box. I won't do it. Um, my life is too short. Um, folks, it is professional to compete and lose with a smile. If you can't lose and maintain your dignity, you're not a professional. It's as simple as that. Okay. Shall I sum up? Uh, yeah, please. Okay. So first of all, you're going to review what skills your competitors have. You're going to think about whether or not you need them. You're going to think about whether or not you can get them. And whatever you're doing, don't forget that it's a cooperative competition. And getting promoted isn't luck. It's about standing back and looking at the landscape and working hard in the areas that are most important. And if you want it, you have to work for it. All those people that you see above you, you think, oh, he was just lucky, weren't. They were working really hard. Um, so the, Jamie it reminds me in that in that video it's from 2002 and it's on the Kellogg website Jamie Diamond says my my dad was a I think he was a broker he went to work like eight eight till four and uh, so my idea of a tough day was like nine till six and then I went to work and he went to work on Wall Street and <laughs> discovered like a tough day was like seven until seven the next day yes exactly Yep. You know, people who get those kind of rewards are really working hard for it. And you have to too. Good. All right. Thanks, Wendy. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. That's it, everybody. Hopefully this helped you think about those people you might be competing with. And I use competing lightly for promotions. Keep in mind that they're your colleagues as well. Um, but the more you know about these kind of things, the better off you'll be as you seek to climb the corporate ladder.